Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. It's a creative experience, this being a person. Yes, it is. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life well, as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Uh, my conversation with, with uh, conversation with John Lanchester, the British novelist, is up there now. My next one is going to be up, I think, tomorrow. I'm going to put it up. My conversation with the wonderful Erica Bauermeister. I've had a couple with her before. She's got a new book out called The Scent Keeper. It's a very interesting conversation about her creative process and how it took her six years between books and what that was like. Very good conversation. That's going to be up, I think, like I said, starting tomorrow, uh, May 29th. And, of course, we're funded. Uh, so you can find all that at authormagazine.org. And this show is funded. Couldn't do it without the help of the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. These folks have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. can join up. Can uh, If you join, if you're a member, doesn't matter where you live, you can uh, – you can get all the benefits, like, for instance, they have monthly meetings where classes are taught. Well, it just so happens that in June and July, I will be teaching one of those classes on the personal essay. Yes, I will be. And if you can make it, great. But if you, don't, if you can't make it, that doesn't matter. You can still listen to it uh, on the Internet because that's the kind of world we live in right now. So sign up for PNWA because they also have a great conference every year in September, the Pacific Northwest Writers Conference one of the best in the country, one of the oldest in the country, and uh, people come from all over the world for it, and it's worth it. Yes, it is. People are signing up already. It'll be in September in the uh, Seattle area, the SeaTac area. You can go to pnwa.org to learn more about it. Well, you turned in, tuned in, I should say, for a good one. This novelist and short story writer, Devin Murphy. He's got a new book out, but Devin is a... Uh, He's an assistant professor of creative writing at Bradley University, uh, but he was a busy man before that. He worked various jobs in national parks all around the country, and he once had a three-year stint at sea that led him to over 50 countries on all seven continents. But needless to say, he's a writer, uh, and his fiction has appeared in over 60, 60 literary journals and anthologies, including the Missouri Review, Glimmer Train. Chicago Tribune, new stories from the Midwest, and confrontation. But of course, he's also a novelist. Debut novel was called The Boat Runner. It did great. Now he's got a new one out, Tiny Americans, and he's with us today. Devin, welcome to the show. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you on, Devin. Uh, so, so uh, 60 literary, that's a lot of stories in literary journals. You're such a young guy. You're only 40. <laughs> I think you told me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so let's let's back up a little bit. Uh, I, I'm guessing your interest in writing goes back a long ways. I'm going to guess even before college. Am I right? Probably, yeah. Probably as a, as a little kid when I, yeah. um, when I kind of first got turned on to language as something that was sort of um, really interesting and beautiful and also sort of could articulate feelings that I couldn't yet. So, you know, yeah. as a young person when you kind of are, are holding in your emotional life, cause maybe you're, 
you're not really proficient at sharing it um, to yeah. read somebody else kind of talking about the world in a way that like, oh, that makes sense. I kind of feel that to give words to, to your experience really was important. So it sort of became um, love of reading. Um, I was yeah. never a great student, but love of reading was always there and reading beyond like the classwork uh, was always right. there. And then eventually, like probably most musicians, you know, you, you find a rock star <laughs> you love and you mimic them. Right. And so right. my rock stars were always writers. And so yeah. I just sort of read and read. And for most of my young life, it, it seemed like an unattainable um, goal to write for myself, but reading yeah. is always sort of the baseline there that eventually turns out is how you get to make that jump to be a writer. So yeah, it started well, pretty young. Um, but so you were reading yeah. stuff and I love what you said. I think it's so true that, that in art, this is so, so true for me that, that you see someone talking, find, finding, giving shape to something that seems formless within yourself that, and that you, know, you kind of knew but couldn't express, but it was such a regular part of your life. It was profound to me when I'd see it in poetry and in music to know sort of that I wasn't alone, right? That I, it, Very I, much. I'm not the only one, right? Feeling that way? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I think, where people train themselves to become empathetic for the world around them and people outside of their own experience. And, and I was really lucky. My dad was a philosophy professor, and he was ah. just constantly reading, but his, his books were sort of these abstract um, yeah. slash theological philosophical texts that I, that I hard time, had a hard time accessing. But when he would tell me a story that had a narrative from those books, I just never yeah. forgot it. And my right. mother was an artist, and so she was always taking wow. different medium and making art, whether it be ceramic or sculpture um, or, or taking metal and welding. And so I sort of had this, this atmosphere to grow up in where – sort of intellectual artistic endeavor was was worthwhile right and right and so to kind of grow up in that as my models it's not really the norm you know no. that's sort of no. uh, it's definitely it was a bit kooky but but i think i soaked it in that you know to do your own work it might not pay so well but it, it's it's fulfilling and so right. I, i'm looking back at my own life and realizing well i have this kind of reading writing component intellectual part of me but i also have this really artistic part of me that looks at the world as as malleable um uh, something i can make shape of and so i'm kind of the perfect marriage of those two with my writing um, yeah. and so in a way i came from that environment and and worked with what i had see i think that's great i've often thought of literary fiction which i think you you probably feel comfortable putting yourself squarely into uh is a blend of the philosophical and the artistic because philosophy, I mean, whether you're being overt about it, but the, the literary writer is trying to make sense of why are we here in a way, maybe more than the suspense writer or the romance writer. Maybe I don't want to categorize, but that certainly drives it more often. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I definitely, um, I, it, it was helpful to me because I would actually like, okay, what's my dad doing here? And I would try to read those books <laughs> And, and I just couldn't get into them. There was like one in 10 I would, I would really find great and worthwhile right. to keep reading. But I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with the abstraction. I needed that concrete right. drowning of, like, of language right. and, and the tactile. Right. And so yeah. when I got older and started realizing I wanted to write, well, I would read suspense and I have read romance to figure out how they work because I realized there's right. something that's fascinating about the philosophy books, but it doesn't work for me as a reader. So where, right. what's missing? So I started reading 
to try to understand these genres. So, so I, I, I teach now, and I have my students do this. I have them read every genre available to them, including poetry, nonfiction, plays, screenwriting, just to kind of figure out the rules because the more rules you know, the more you can kind of blend them together and create your own. Right. So, so yeah, I, it was just kind of, it was just a, a, um, a genre that I was introduced to earlier to recognize that this isn't for me, but maybe something along these lines is. Right. Right. So, so when did you actually sit down and write a story? Do you remember the first story you finished where you thought that's like, that's a story. Like that's actually a story. I may not be brilliant or whatever, but that has a beginning, a middle and an end. That's a story. Can you remember? That took a long time. No, I I, I know, I know, I know I have boxes. I still have these boxes of journals and not like dear diary, but it was, um, you had mentioned in the intro of me, I had all these jobs where I traveled. I think I I sort of realized I wasn't a great student, but I wanted to write that I, I wasn't very creative. And so I thought, well, I can go out and be like a John Krakauer type. I can go live a creative life. And so I thought I'd get these travel jobs and write like that. And so right. I, I started like chronicling my experiences. And in doing that, I realized, oh, I've got, I've got like no skill as a writer at all here. <laughs> I don't know what I'm <laughs> no. doing. Um, oh, my so, God. You know, during, during college, I took an intro to creative writing class, which was really great. Um, but it was basically like, here's a John Gardner on becoming novels book and right. a good luck kid. Right. It kind of showed me that there was ways there's other examples out there. And so I had all these notebooks of like chronicle my experiences. Then I realized it's a little more fun to kind of skirt over towards like the subconscious dreamscape of your imagination. Yeah. And so yeah. I started kind of inching towards fiction and, and it took me years to realize like, Oh, maybe I'm trying to write a story. And when I started doing it, they were just dreadful. Um, right. But, Lots and lots of dreadful stories came, and I can't tell you the first time I, I actually had one work. I mean, I might have been in graduate school at the time, um, right? and I oh, had to have somebody else tell me that it worked. So, I mean, it's been, right. it, it's been a decade of writing just atrocious stuff, not even really telling people what I was doing. It was just kind of like figuring out and seeing if I, if I had the chops to endure this. But you were quietly, privately teaching yourself how to do it. I mean, cause you, even in, you can call it dreadful stuff, whatever, but you gotta like, you've got to figure it out. You got to find your voice. You got to find what you're interested in. You also got to find how to make a scene happen. You gotta, there's so much you've got to, you know, what I think about with craft sometimes, Devin, I don't know if you, if it's true for you, but I sometimes think a lot of what craft is, is learning what not to do just all the, or that like, that's what speeds it up for me. I feel like all the things that just don't work and that, you, and that after trial and error, trial and error, you just don't try anymore. Does that make sense? Uh, very much so. And I think that's not an uncommon model for a lot of education. I recall going to visit a friend of, of mine's buddy who was doing um, a medical residency at um, John Hopkins. And she was really brilliant. We got to go kind of, she gave us a tour of her world up there and it was really fascinating. And, and she, she did this amazing thing I'll never forget. She said, oh, I got 10 minutes for my next thing. So why don't you guys just entertain yourself? And she went in the corner and sat down and took a five-minute nap. And I was like, wait, how did you just even shut your body down? And it was, I, we were watching her. It was kind of creepy. Like, what is happening here? And she said, oh, well, I, I, she worked like 20, 24 hours a day sometimes in these cycles. And she said, well, I have to rest when I, when I can. And we said, well, why, what's the value of having this insane cycle of, of the schedule? And she says, you're trying to cram 10 years of education into four, 10 years of mistakes down wow. into four in wow. the medical residency. And so I've always thought of like all apprenticeship is – time to to explore be in a lab and make mistakes and so writing's no different you have to exactly what you said make scenes and and figure out yeah. sentences and voice and figure out okay when people say have you found your voice well 
I found it for one story, but maybe not the next one, you know? And so it keeps kind of challenging you over and over again. And, and the idea is hopefully you've already had that challenge. So you can, you can overcome it quicker until you get to the next right. challenge. So right. That's kind of my idea there. I just heard it. Okay. My friend, Terry Persson. Thank you, Terry. Terry sent me this, his, he's a writer. <laughs> All my friends are writers. He sent me this, uh, his, his, his newsletter, but in it, he had this quote from Allen Ginsberg about voice. I think it's a great one. He said, to gain your own voice, you have to forget about having heard it. What do you think of that? To, to, to find forget about having to, heard it. You have to have, in other words, that lack of self-consciousness, right? Like you can't be like aware of it. I don't know. Have you ever, have you ever sung? Have you ever done singing? Like taken singing I lessons? Own. I haven't, but uh, I would be a dreadful candidate for such a class, <laughs> I'd imagine. Well, my that, wife that took singing lessons a little bit, and she said, her teacher said, don't hear yourself singing when you're singing. You can't listen to yourself singing while you're singing. You have to just let it through. And I've often thought that's true of writing. Like, you can't listen to your writer's voice to let it through naturally. Am I getting too abstract here? That's how it seems to me. No, I- I'm with you on, on kind of one level and, and then I'll give you the way how I do it. So I understand what you're okay. saying. It's like at its best, your, your subconscious is sort of coming through, right? And you're not paying attention to your own, your own doubt. You're just kind of, you're, you're, you're not even a filter for what's coming out, right? You're just right. an unbidened uh, uh, experience yeah. tied together and woven together. But then what I, what I realized when doing that is that's just kind of, free form nonsense that I'm putting out there. And then I have to go back and like layer in and layer in. And I realize in, in editing, I actually find the voice I'm looking for over and over again through many decisions and ah, micro edits. Um, and so yeah. for me, I, I'm perfectly happy drafting that way to like put yeah. something out. But what I always do is I just make it a, a monstrous mess. And then I have to right. go back and use all those tools to kind of think, okay, what mistakes have I made? Let's clean those up. What, what new am I trying to do? Let's explore there. And so it's right. through over and over. Um, basically drudgery is where the voice eventually emerges. And so I think of myself more like a, a watchmaker, you know, I have all these ah, little gears and, yeah. and, and pulleys and everything that eventually I'm going to try to hide from the reader, you know, right. So voice oh, of course. Yeah. 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 Polished. Yeah. So I don't want anyone oh, to see what I did and all the mistakes I made. I want right. voice to be that last thing that's going to hide it all and pull them through. Right. I like that. Yeah. You don't want them to see. It's true. You don't want them to see any of the seams and the loose stitches. It, you don't. That's very, it's very good. Well, so, okay. Uh, but you, like I said, before you published or probably while you were right publishing, working on the boat run, you published in 63 literary journals. So eventually you must have finished one and tried to sell it. Uh, how'd that go? How did the, with my first novel? Out? No, your first short, just your first short story. Cause I assume you did short stories before your novel. Uh, yeah, I, I did a lot of short stories. So uh, I'll give you two stories that kind of led to that. Once I was, um, when I was living in this sort of Jack London-esque, you know, crack hour type, right. I was on a, right. I was on a boat working in Alaska, the small tour boat. And, and I, I, I never told anyone what I was doing, but I was sort of soaking up and writing about it, really wanted to do that. And, and some guy asked me, some other guy asked me, well, what do you really want to do? He had just seen me, like, dock the boat and then go serve a drink and, like, been seeing me do every job I was asking. He said, what are you really right. doing here? And I said, well, I'd like to be a writer. And then he did me this great favor. I don't know who this guy was, but he said, what are you doing to practically achieve your goal? Okay. Oh. And the word practically just bored me. I'm like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing to practically achieve it. And that sort of nodded at me that there was like 
oh, there's there's actually a way to go about this opposed to just right. floating around by myself in secret. Um, right. And so I, I started basically trying to practically teach myself to write, which was lots of reading, lots of writing. And, and it's still, I plateaued. I just, I wasn't right. getting any better. And, right. uh, and that's when I found out about these graduate programs, these MFAs. And so I was floating around on this like National Geographic, like boat all over the world. I had this dream job as a young man. Um, but my writing was just not going anywhere. Stagnant. I was like living yeah. this really super adventurous life, but I was stagnant. And so I kind of thought, all right, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and try one of these programs and try to go teach myself how to do that. I need someone to help me. And so I showed up to this program. I went to Colorado State for this program, and I got there thinking I was hot stuff because I got into graduate school, and I was by far the worst one there. Really? Um, I was just – I was terrible. I didn't know any of the fu- fundamentals, and I, but I did have lots of content. I'd had right. this kind of interesting life. That actually did pay off. I also sort of had trained myself to think like that that artist that the world is malleable for my own storytelling right, and to right, have an right. ear and an eye for art. And so once I started kind of figuring out the rules, writing scenes, I spent about a year and a half in graduate school really working hard to just try to stay afloat. And, you know, I'd left this dream job to do this, so I wanted to earn my keep. And finally, I wrote a story um, about a middle-aged woman who told a lie. And, okay. and she was sort of lonely and told this lie. And it was, I think I was 26 at the time. And so it was, so, it was a person so much different than me that I wasn't locked into like a young man in a struggle type story. Right. That was too right. close to me. And so as soon yep. as this person other than me told a lie, it became real fiction. And I had a professor said, well, this is ready. Send it out. And I was oh. like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> where, where do you send stories? <laughs> I didn't even know. Like, I, I, who, who tells you this kind of thing? And so that, that was really a big boon in confidence. So I sent my first story out, and it got accepted. And I thought, oh, oh my this is God. Oh, this is I easy. Thought, <laughs> I, well, so, yes, exactly. And so guess what I did? I sent out another story and I got my first rejection letter and I, I'll quote you this. This was written in pen. I really comma really, the second really was underlined three times. Do not like the story. Please never send me here again. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Isn't Christ. that harsh? <laughs> and I that's thought, a, oh, there goes, I go, that's oh. a short career. <laughs> wow. But you weathered yeah. that. That's great. So your first thing, uh, yeah. boom, they, it, and so you didn't let that phase you. You didn't say, well, that's it. <laughs> I'm a one hit wonder. You well, on. you kind of have to. You kind of have to keep taking your hits and keep going. And so I, I tell my students this all the time. It's just a matter of time and endurance um, and effort, you know. And so the thicker the skin you have, the the better served you're going to be. Because you know, I, I for yes, I had a lot of journal publications, but I could confetti any stadium with rejection slips, right? Sure. Um, and so, you know, once I had my novel published, everyone was like, oh, how did you do this? You're so young. Well, I've been, work- I've been working on it for 20 years. Um, right. And then I had, right. had another book a year and a half later. Well, that, that's been the last decade in the work, too. And, and now I think I got it made. And, of course, my, my third book isn't going isn't gonna to go, so I got to go to the fourth one. So it just, it just never ends. You got to keep kind of um, – you just got to keep that momentum of excitement towards a new project in your, in yeah. your world so that rejection and setbacks don't don't diminish that. And then, you know, then things will happen in your wake. So you say we got to have tough, thick skin. It's true. We, I mean, that's a, we, I know that phrase, but what does that actually mean? You know, like, what is that? Like, like if you were describing, if you couldn't use that phrase and you had to show someone what thick skin was like, like how practically does one acquire it, use it? What does that really mean to you? I'll give you two examples. 
Um, okay. Let's say you have to sit down and somebody gives you criticism of your short story. Right. Um, and so there's good criticism, there's bad criticism. But let's say somebody um, gives you a piece of bad criticism and you think, well, you're just being a jerk or you didn't get it, right? right. But that right. piece of criticism, instead of letting it hurt my feelings, it's going to make me go back to that piece and, and take ownership of it and say, well, I was either – you're either wrong and I'm right, right. or I want to keep it this way. Or uh, if they give me a great criticism, like I love this story, I could let right. that ego just say, okay, well, I'm done, or I could go back and take ownership. Or if they give me like a spot-on piece of criticism that's going to help me crack this thing open in a new light that I didn't have because I was in a vacuum of my own work. Well, the criticism, yep. instead of being something that stings, you can be, you can be okay, I'm just going to realize that it's, it's sometimes – in a vulnerable space to share your stuff. Um, yeah. But you shift gears to, instead of saying, even if you give me bad criticism, I'm going to use it to make my work better. And so right. thick skin lets you get past the, the, the ego bruise to actually become practical and use this. Yeah. Um, and so I think yeah. that's, that's kind of part of the training. The other thing is in the writing itself, there's lots of writers that will turn back when they hit a problem. And, and right. maybe turn back from the story or shelve the novel or just quit writing. And thick skin is basically saying, well, I don't have the answer to this now, but the problem itself is what's going to teach me to go forward. And so if it's a plot problem, I have to go read other people who figured out plot to steal from them and understand them and, and then apply what I learned to my own work. And so right. instead, of, instead of hitting a, 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 a barrier and being done or giving up, you have to kind of study why you're at that barrier. And so you have to constantly be self-reflective of like, wait, am I not the person that's developed enough to understand this? Am I not empathetic towards right. myself or my character? And so in a lot of ways, you have to be able to constantly search out those, those, those barriers because that's where you're going to grow. And I think you need right. thick skin to basically constantly put yourself in a spot where you're going to rub up against doubt. Oh, can I do this? Yeah. Should I do this? Yeah. You know? So that's, yeah. that's what I think practically thick skin. That is an easily, easily used term, but I think it's really practical because you, your young writers, especially um, they're not used to being vulnerable and then they're not used to being exposed and, and bruised yeah. when vulnerable yeah. and they'll turn yeah. back. My wife uh, was an art student and uh, she really, and you know, in the art, and you, when you're taking, just like there's workshopping sessions at MFA programs in the art world, you know, you all put up your work. And I mean, it's, and for the artist, it, it's one thing to have your stories read aloud, but to have the piece just there, right? Imagine if your story yes. could be hung up on a wall, right? And, and taken in in one view. And the teacher used to say, remember, it's not you up there on the wall. That's not you. That's a picture you made. And I think it's so important for all artists to differentiate between themselves and their work, right? I mean, it may have come through you, but it ain't you. It's not you. It's something you made. Does that make sense? Oh, I feel like you're like a great therapy session for me right now. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> you know, there's after all this time with the with this, I tend to be pretty slow in retrospect of my writing and I try to pour myself into them. And so when I put them out there, I feel a bit drained. And especially with in the last two years, I've had my first novels come out that right. they, they're not me, but they're so personal. Oh, and then yeah. for years I've, I've never had like a big readership. You know, I didn't know if I was right. ever going to have readers. You just don't know. Right. And so well, with the journals, you don't know, right? I mean, when you're publishing the yeah, journals, you don't, like, even the hell book. knows if anybody read it. Yeah. You don't, don't even know. Even the right? books. Yeah, even the books you don't know. And so, like, right. to have it out there, it's 
it was a very weird passage to have gone through over the last couple of years. And so for you to say that it's really apt and, and to, for it oh, to come good. from the art world is, is really, is really great. Cause of course I've saw my mother do these art shows and, yeah, and, yeah. and as a young kid, I would see that, I guess I didn't really understand that she would have to make that differentiation between herself and the work where I struggle with my own writing to, to break myself yeah. from my work. It's, it's, it's a bit of a challenge for me. Well, here's one thing that I think, can, I think one other thing I've learned about that, um, is that um, actually I keep quoting my wife, but she's a, she's a bright woman, but we were talking about, cause she writes also, <laughs> we were talking about reviews and I realized this when people start, cause I write kind of inspiring stuff. So people only really contact me for the most part when they like what I've done, because I usually try to cheer people up. And so they want to let me know. So it's different with, with fiction where people will let you know, why did you write that book? So I'm lucky that way. Right. Um, but we were talking about reviews and she said, I think it's really true. A review is a description of an experience. It's not, it's not what the book is. It's I went through this reading this book. This is what happened to me when I read this. And the weird thing is, is the reader did not read the same book that you wrote. They just don't. They read something. I mean, haven't you had someone come up to you and say, they love your stuff. This is what I go through. And I feel like, man, I almost feel like they're they're loving it for the like wrong reasons. <laughs> they're loving it for reasons different than I I loved it. Do you go through that at all? Hearing back from your readers? Yeah. Um and people like focus in on small details that for some reason pinged a nerve with them. And I, right. I learned this actually pretty early when I told you I showed up at graduate school and I was the worst one there. I wrote uh-huh. a story that infuriated a classmate of mine. <laughs> and I did not mean to do that at all. Right. And it was it was a real lesson because I think I maybe my writing was lazy and but she was also like trying to grind an axe on my draft and so right. I, I realized there's a real disconnect um, and so I should do my best to control what I want out there and I don't yeah. always do it but I I do have her rage in my mind sometimes when I write <laughs> thinking as, or more when I edit more when I edit like am I right. am I saying what I want and and have I kind of controlled and presented this in the way that I want to manipulate and affect my reader. And yeah. so I, I do my best to do that. And then I'm still surprised by the reaction. And so, yeah. um, and especially because people can just write you and, and email you and like, just, just word vomit at you. It's kind of a strange experience. <laughs> it um, is. And so, yeah, this is a new world for me to have people like, you know, unsolicited offer their opinions of, of like <laughs> this thing I, put my heart into over 10 years. <laughs> That's right. Well, I remember this, the, the, uh, he's a suspense writer, Bob Dagoni, Robert Dagoni, nice guy. He's a local guy. And, and so he came up to me, we we're at a writer's conference and he says, look at this. And he opens up a hard copy of one of his books. He said, this woman just gave it to me. And she went through and made a bunch of edits in my book. Oh. <laughs> they gave it to me. He's like, it's published. It's too late. But no, she Where took Where were time. you months ago? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, the reader. It's a funny thing, the relationship with the reader. It's a, it, it, the more I go through it, the more I, I don't take personally the praise. I don't, I don't take personally the criticism either. It's easier for me. The more I realize, like, it's their experience. And the, I mean, what I tell my students, you can have this one if you want. What I tell my students is the book belongs, what you went through writing the book belongs exclusively to you. That will always be yours. But once you put it out into the world, it belongs to everybody, and it's not yours anymore. It's not your book; it's their book. But what you wrote is yours. Yeah. In other words, yeah, what, you ch- I, what changed in you is yours, but the book isn't yours anymore. 
because they read it and they make it their own. There's just nothing we can do about it, right? Yeah, I, I had um, I didn't really feel that until I had this great experience where I had to go around do some driving trips to to sure. promote the book, and yeah, I yeah. and I was lucky. My du- my two books got made into audiobooks by like professional narrators, nice. and so I listened to them. I listened yeah. to them while driving, and it was oh. like this is this is not this is not me. This is not my right. Dude. This was it was. It was that extra layer of remove that I could experience it as as not the person who had to like fight over all the sentences, right. and so it was finally it felt like a cutting loose of these things from ah. my life, um, and I was really felt unburdened. I was like, okay, I I did that. Um, I I'm kind of proud of it. I see where I would maybe do it a little different now. I see right. maybe where I made some mistakes and I've grown, and and the real thing was just. Oh, that is a different experience now that it's out of my life because I've been through it yeah. so many times, and and with the editors and and whatnot that you kind of it, it takes a lot of steam out of you, and so to see it fresh from somebody else's eyes, it was like oh, okay, it's I'm great. That I'm gonna move on. It was really That's great. It was such a cool experience. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because when I teach the thing I usually teach is memoir and personal essay. That's when I teach like craft. I do this thing called fearless writing, which is like self help for writers. But I do this when I teach craft. It's personal, and what I do is. I read the essays, all the essays that are handed in, so that the, re- the writers will hear their stories in someone else's voice. I want them to hear it in yeah. a stranger's voice because that's the way things are read. So that, 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 that strengthens my belief in that technique, I think. Oh, that's a 100% valid technique. Yes, I, yeah. I, any, any way to hear it differently while yeah. writing it is, 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 a, is a tool to be employed as much as possible. Yeah, it's so helpful. It's so helpful. Well, listen, I didn't even get to talk about Tiny Americans. I'm sorry. And by the way, it's a great book. Everybody, it's called Tiny Americans. (laughs) And it was out in March, and uh, it's wonderful, and it's just beautifully crafted. And uh, and I have to say, I can even though this is something from as a writer, I kind of know when a book has been worked. I can feel the amount of work that went into it. I'm not saying it feels strained. I'm just saying it does not feel like a book that popped out in three months it felt like it was gone over many times is that true yeah it it took me um my first two books it took me about i i tell people it took me 10 years to figure out how to write in the last 10 the second 10 years to kind of write these two books um so yeah i would i would write one until i was exhausted and then i go to the next and then go back come back to the other objective and kind of cycle through them over and over well it was worth it it was good congratulations i'm not quite done with you but i just want to officially congratulate you on Tiny Americans. Again, it's called Tiny Americans, everybody. Everybody go buy it. Uh, what I'd like – okay. Oh, so before I ask you this last question, now if people want to learn about you, uh, is it just devinmurphy.com or is there is it a different website where they can find you? Uh, devinmurphyauthor.com, ah, yeah. Okay. Devin Murphy. And yeah. do you post your – if you're going to be doing appearances and that sort of thing there? Yep, those get popped up there. Um, I've just kind of started to wind down a little bit because uh, it's been a crazy two years, and I'm I'm uh, I got some small kids at home. I'm going to look forward to spend the summer oh. with. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, I have a few kind of appearances here and there. I'll post on that website. Oh, good, good, good. Okay, all right. Well, my last question for you, Devin, is this: I'd like you to finish this sentence. If writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Endurance. Yeah. <laughs> you just just sounds, keep going. <laughs> that's great. You feel like you feel like you've just because you've been at this for a long time since you were a young fella, uh like 
you just you recognize early on I'm going to need endurance in order for this to happen. Like I can't, I'm not a sprinter here. I got to be a distance runner. Well, I, yes, and also um, every time I I'm spent so long on these projects that a lot of other projects are kind of forming out beyond the dam that I'm excited about, and so I recognize that like I, I, there's always going to be another thing I'm excited about, and I'll want to learn right. and figure out how to do. And 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 I think I'll drive my editors and agents nuts because um, each book is going to be so much different than the last because I want to do something new. Um, and so I'm oh, wow. constantly realizing that this is this is going to. T- I have enough work for the rest of my life if I want, ah, which I which I do, good. which is pretty good. exciting. Well, what are yeah. you here for? What are you here for? <laughs> You're not here just to plant posies. You got to do something. <laughs> exactly. I like that. <laughs> all right. Well, Devin, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Good luck with all the books you're going to write between now and the end. Thanks so much, Bill. I really appreciate your support and your, uh, your great questions. And it's nice talking to you. All right. Thanks a lot. Take it easy. Take care. Bye-bye. Yes, endurance. You need it, people. You need it. You need it. You need it. This isn't a dash. No, it's not. Uh, listen, I'm going to be back next week talking to Myla Goldberg. That should be interesting. Until then, I'll thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. I say to all of you, go find something you love to do and do it. That's what we do here.